This right. is an eight iron, and it's a dead shank. Wow. Way right. Oh, Takes a, a hop off the path. You gotta be kidding me. Very tough pitch shot right here. You gotta hit it into the hill. One hop up and bite, and it's in. Kind of like that. Hey everyone, it's Jason at the Sub 70 Podcast. I'm really excited for you guys to uh, listen to this podcast. We have on Andre Metzger, who has been tearing up the mini tours the last five or six years with some incredibly good golf. Uh, don't be surprised next year if you see him on the Corn Ferry Tour, and I wouldn't be surprised the next couple of years if he's on the PJ Tour. It's a really interesting backstory, a lot of perseverance, and he's played a lot of great golf. I really enjoyed talking to him, and I hope you guys really enjoy this episode. Thanks again for listening. I would like to welcome to the Sub-70 podcast the winner of 26 professional events, Andre Metzger. Andre, it's an absolute pleasure to have you on today. Looking forward to the conversation. Yeah, I really appreciate it, too. This is my first podcast. Well, it should be fun. Um, I've been wanting to do this podcast, you know, on the developmental tours and the mini tours and that whole kind of scene and... uh, was asking Ryan over at the uh, Monday Q info, which uh, is on Twitter. It's great for kind of all of the tours around the world and Monday qualifying and Q school and all that information. So if, if people are out there interested in it, it's like the best site. So I asked Ryan, like, if I was going to get one guy on the podcast that has just been kicking the crap out of it, you know, you know, in the last six years and playing great golf, who would you get? And your name came up. So... I've been looking forward to this one for a while and, you know, getting a hold of you and, and kind of thinking about this. So I'm excited to do this. Um, it's it's going to be really interesting. I think there's a lot to talk about. Uh, my first question is, how have you played that well for that extended a period of time to get that many wins? You know, what are, because we would always like to be like, what, what can we do for our games and, and whatever level we're at to maintain as good as we can be at? Like, what have you, looking back, like, what have you done to win that much? Well, you know, I honestly, I mean, in the first place, on you know, you you got to fail a lot, you know, and and you got to learn a lot of lessons from that. Uh, a lot of guys come up to me; they think that I've been, you know, just winning forever. And honestly, like I tell a lot of the younger guys, you know, they'll be twenty-seven; they're all bummed out that they haven't won. And I'm like, man, I didn't have my first win until I was thirty. And, uh, you know, so I had a lot of, uh, learning curves. I, I wasn't, didn't take, uh, professional golf super serious to, uh, begin. I was, uh, I came out to Arizona. My wife, uh, we came out here for her to play professionally and she's a great golfer in and out of her own, in her own way. And, uh, and then I was just caddying out here during the winters and then all of a sudden I'd play during the summers. And, uh, you know, I kind of just gradually kept getting better. Uh, you know, I, I, whoever was considered the best, that's who I was trying to play with or play against. Uh, you know, I really enjoy challenges. Um, and so honestly, the way I see, you know, how I've gotten here is, you know, I just basically failed a lot, uh, but never, never gave up, never gave in to, you know, the bad thoughts that we all have and, uh, just kept fighting and kept getting better. And the second you learn 
whatever that is that you're looking for uh, to make your game better, um, man, that's when you just start catapulting forward. You know, uh, golf became fairly easy for me, I would say. You know, uh, a lot of young guys try to make golf uh, really hard, and they talk about it that it's really hard. And a lot of my message that I tell the those guys is, listen, you know, you got to start convincing yourself that golf is easy, you know, because when you're doing it at your best and when when things are right, you know, it, it does become easy. You know, I, I've I've never shot a hard 62. You know, when when things are right, when when you're playing good, you know, golf kind of comes easy. I know that's a you know could tick some people off, you know, but it it can be that simple in the sense of just the way you talk and the way you approach, um, you know, getting better, you know, maybe your levels to break par. And so you got to make it easy for yourself to break par, you know, that, that 71 or 70 that you shoot for the first time, it's going to, when you look back, it's going to be like, Oh, well that was pretty easy. You know? So I think there's something there. Um, that's what I would kind of say as far as how I have kind of gotten to where I'm at. So it sounds like it's more of a mental, I mean, physically it sounds like you always had the tools to do it. Is it, is it just more of a mindset or a mental thing that you kind of, once you hit 30 and that maturity kind of came there that between self-belief and your abilities are there and it just all, it kind of all came together. Then once it kind of happened, winning breeds winning, is it, is that sort of a fair assessment of, of me kind of looking at it where it wasn't like all of a sudden you got to be a better driver of the golf ball. It just all, exactly. it, it just sort of all came together with a lot of self-belief. Yeah. Yeah. I, I would say that'd be a perfect assessment. You know, I, uh, you know, I, to a degree, you know, when you're like, say you're starting to, you're trying to learn how to ball, you know, first, first you got to learn the form. You do it, you do it, you do it, you do it so many times that you get good, you know, good enough to do it. Now, then it becomes just a complete mental game as far as how, you know, trying to do the same thing over and over again. You know, golf is different in the sense of most of the time you're just trying to do the same thing over again for 18 holes straight, you know, and that's a lot easier said than done because you'll have different thoughts, you'll have different lives, you have different situations. But in the the grand scheme of it, you're really just trying to become as much of a machine as you possibly can and a machine you know if they're trying if a machine's trying to be perfect it's not going to have a lot of different uh thoughts going into shots you know it's it's that's why you know so many golfers that you learn from you know the first thing they talk about is a routine or well, routines uh very important in the sense of trying to learn how to do something over and over again and so I, I'd say your assessment's very, very good. When, when you're in, you know, one of those rounds where it's going low, 62, 63, 64, do you even have a swing thought or is it just let your body see the shot that your mind wants to hit and you just react and do it versus, you know, swing thoughts or thinking about it? Yeah, I mean, I always tell people you always want to have one thought, you know, whatever that is. And I don't necessarily consider a thought within the setup or anything like that you know uh when i go to swing you know when i'm playing my best i have one thought when when you're not playing as good you know you might your one thought say hits 
hits a big old cut to the right. Well, now all of a sudden, what you're if you need to hit a straight shot, now you're introducing okay, okay, here's my one thought, but then I also have to add in you know a flip or you know holding the club tight or whatever that whatever that next thought has to be. But now you've added two thoughts to create a straight shot. Now, if that shot's created, you know, okay, you're just going to have to go through the day with two thoughts, but, uh, you know, you're really just wanting to play with one shot, you know, or one thought. My my wife always calls me Houdini because I, I have a crazy little knack to get myself out of trouble. And when, you know, say I've got to hit a 40-yard cut, around these trees or whatever that scenario is, well, when it's defined like that, it's really easy to do it in the sense of, okay, I have to hit this big old cut. I have to hit it low or whatever the scenario is. So I'm doing everything to do that. Where it gets difficult, I think, is when you're in the middle of the fairway, you know, without, you know, if there's no defined uh, shot type there, you know, okay, what's your go-to shot? You know, how well are you? Uh, assessing yourself through the day in the sense of, okay, well, I'm I tend, I'm hitting about a two-yard cut today. You know, how well are you noticing that? Or, you know, so I, you know, I think shots, you know, out of trouble are very easy in the sense of it's very defined on what you have to do, where generally a lot of the shots from the middle of the fairway are the shots that I see guys have trouble with because there's nothing defined there. No, that makes sense. And I, I, when you're speaking, I think of my own game. And yeah, I mean, if you got to hit a low draw around a tree, it's pretty straightforward, right? If you're in trouble, or you got to kind of, you know, hit that creative shot. But you can, there's no variable of what needs to be done here. And yeah, if you have a kind of a simple, straightforward nine iron that pins in an accessible situation, right? Like, what do you? Then it becomes like, okay, do I cut it in there so it lands soft? Do I want it to kind of draw spin in? I can see where all of a sudden that can get, which would seem more simple could actually kind of get into your head and then you don't fully commit and, oh, God, I just, you know, blocked it out to the right because I wasn't fully committed. That's an interesting perspective you have, but I I think you're onto something there. You yeah. Know, it, it makes sense. Um, with your caddying, I know you caddied out at Whisper Rock for a long time and you're talking about, you know, playing against some of the best out there. D- there's a lot of tour players who are who are members out there. It's a really cool club. I haven't had a chance to play it yet, but I've had some guys on the podcast who are members out there, and the vibe sounds great. A couple of buddies have played it. Did those guys who were on tour at that point in time, did you play with them a lot? Did you play in their money game? Did you kind of uh, get to be around those guys to assess your game versus their game and, and try to get yourself better? Was that part of it? Yeah, I mean, uh, for me, I didn't get to play against a ton of them a ton of them back in the day when I was caddying out there, you know, um, I've played with them a lot more over these last six years, you know, um, uh, two years ago I had a little status. So I was at TPC every day, you know, and that's where, you know, you gotta be out there. Uh, you know, it just kind of is what it is when you're caddying, you know, people are going to look at you as a caddy when you're out there in the, in the golf outfit, you know, people are going to look at you as a golfer. And, uh, you know, so for me, when I was caddying, you know, I was caddying for all these, these, uh, really good players and I just never was really impressed. Um, not to say anything, you know, about any of them, cause they're all very impressive, but 
you know, I had a strong belief in what I could do. Um, the best example is I came for Ches Reeve when he tied the course record and shot 61. And that day, you know, when I left that golf course, I was like, oh, man, I think I, I would have shot 60. And nothing against Ches because he's an unbelievable golfer. You know, he's actually one that my game's a little more geared towards. You know, it's not like I'm a huge bomber. I, I can get it out there, you know, 320 or so when I'm really going strong. But for the most part, you know, Ches is just a machine. He makes everything, the easy stuff, look really easy. And that's, you know, pretty much our job as a pro is to make the easy shots look easier and make the hard shots look not too difficult, you know. And so and while I was caddying for him, we had an awesome day. He played awesome. But when I ended that day, I was like, man, I think I would have beat that, you know. So I, I, you know, having the confidence within and seeing how these guys that are already, you know, say top 50 in the world, you know, it's like, oh, I think I can take this guy, you know. So that's, I'd say that's where it helped me is seeing their games firsthand. Uh, I went to Lamar. I played with uh, Chris Stroud and Sean Stefani, uh, or they say Stephanie on TV, and then Davi Vanderwalt. Well, two of them are on the PJ right now, and Davi's on the web, or uh, Corn Ferry. And, uh, you know, so I, you know, the more you can be around good players, the better you can assess how close you are. And on top of that, you know, I've got a strong confidence about what I can do with a golf ball. So to me, it showed me how close I really am. What's a typical day look like for you when you're, you know, you're at home and you're getting ready for the upcoming season. And then what's a typical kind of day when you're out on tour, you know, like for a practice round or something like that, how to, how do you kind of spend your time? Oh man. Uh, you know, at home's a little different, you know, we don't, I don't make a ton of money. So, you know, my week, I would say is a little more typical, you know, because if I'm not at the golf course, I'm watching the kids and letting my wife work. And uh, so I'd say, you know, a typical, let's say a Wednesday where she doesn't, she doesn't have work and I get to go uh, practice. Generally, uh, nowadays is a little different than it used to be. It used to be, I'd just get up, go to the golf course, you know, be there till two or so may maybe even get to play and then I might, you know, get home six thirty or seven and, you know, had a good full day. Uh nowadays it's a little more uh wake up, go work out, um and you know, just to get your body going, you know, and then uh then I'll go out to the golf course. I'll work on what I need to. Um if there's anything that's on my mind, that'll be the prime focus. If nothing's really on my mind and it's more about creating tight, you know, just more of a tight game, then always my biggest focus is uh, I have a four-foot drill that I go around the hole. Uh, I have to make 20 in a row. So that goes, you know, the days that goes well, I'll get it done on the first try. When it goes bad, you know, it might take you 15 tries. But the days that it goes bad and you have 15 tries, you know, those those are the days that as long as you keep fighting and, and finish it, you're going to get so much more out of that than that day that, you know, you just drain them all, you know. So 
I focus a lot on the short game, uh, ball striking. At this point in time in, in my life, I've, I've hit so many golf balls that my swings just, it just doesn't change. Uh, the strength of my, my swing is that's very repetitive. Um, so honestly, you know, I might show up some days, let's say in a tournament and I might have a two yard cut. Some days I might have a four yard draw, you know, but in the truest sense, I'm trying to feel my one thought, what's my one thought creating, you know, and just being honest with that assessment. Sometimes you got to adjust during a round, but, uh, like I said, you know, if you put me on the range and create a scenario, you've got to hit a 30 yard super high hook. I can do that. You know, it's not like a swing deal. I'm generally adjusting most things in the setup and having everything done before I even go to hit the ball. Um, so, you know, I would say it just depends on, uh, if, you know, if I was struggling, you know, inside 80 yards, well, that's going to be something I'm going to punish that day. You know, I'm going to, I'm going to work it out until I get my feels right. Um, you know, if I putt bad, if I was missing something right, okay, I'm going to get it on video. I'm going to see why, and I'm going to fix it, you know. So it just depends really on whether you need, whether you have something that you need to fix or whether you're just trying to maintain your game. And if you're trying to maintain, then you go back to those drills that got you to where you're at. What's the game plan for 2020 uh, for playing next year? Do you kind of have that mapped out, and uh, where can we kind of see you playing? <laughs> I wish I did. Uh, you know, uh, it's uh, life on the mini tour, man. I could be on the PGA in, you know, four weeks or, or I'm on the mini tour. So I would say the plan for 2020 right now, I'm getting ready for stage two of Q school. The focus is just to get to, uh, finals and then get in the top 35 so that I have, uh, some exempt uh tournaments and then if that doesn't go the way it's it's supposed to then then you know you just assess your uh backup plan um for me it's you know i avoid the uh pj canada the pj latin um not for any other reason other than i've you know i've got a wife and two kids don't have much money behind me so i have to focus on uh making some money so i put as uh, a guy gave me some great advice about seven years ago when I played PJ Canada or might've been six, but he, um, he always, he told me to do half money makers and half, uh, opportunity events. So I, I pretty much stuck to that. You know, you, uh, I'll, I'll have plenty of my money makers on my schedule and by money makers, you know, there's, there's, there's a comfort deal and that's, that's what I'm trying to learn right now for the next level is trying to get comfortable out there. Um, but you know, when it comes to Dakota tour or any mini tour event, really, uh, there's a comfort there in the sense I know, you know, 100% that I'm one of the best ones there. So I've just got to stay out of my own way, um, and get going. So, you know, the, a Dakota tour event, I would consider a money maker versus, uh, Monday qualifier or any kind of qualifier that's a little more on the uh uh oh 
money makers and uh, opportunity. That's a little more under the opportunity events. You know, it makes I completely understand where you're coming from. And I was going to bring up the Canadian tour because I, I, I did some when I was doing my research for the podcast. I know I read some stuff where it's like it's hard to even break even out there, right? Like, and I think you kind of went through a thing like the expenses per month just to 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 do that tour. Versus what you can make, that ROI is really difficult. So I don't know if you can kind of talk about, you know, how tough of a challenge that is to play a full season on the Canadian tour and how hard it is just to kind of keep it all square even. Yeah, honestly, I could even go all the way to the Corn Ferry tour and show how that's not very good money. Um, You know, I took T19 in Louisiana this year. Uh, T19 got me 6,600, but after you throw in, uh, flights, uh, caddies aren't cheap. Um, you know, you throw in all these extra deals and, you know, I basically made, you know, 1200 bucks. And at the time I got into the very next event and on the corn ferry, uh, I was already back to under zero. So it just shows you, you know, so if corn fairy is bad money, well, PJ Canada, it's even worse. Uh, I had a buddy that finished eighth on that money list. Uh, this was five years ago. Played a great season, and he net lost $1,500 finishing eighth on the money list. And now he's an American. I, I, From what I understand, you know, if you're from Canada, you can probably, you know, you're going to probably make out a little bit better. So he gets... He he loses $1,500, but gets to go to final stage. So that's the perk of it. Didn't play great at final stage. Ended up with not very good status. So he ended up losing $1,500, got one start out of his status, and then he was out of golf, you know. And and so, you know, and there's just a lot of stories in that, that way, Um for Canada, I mean, it, it cost me a ton. Um, I went up there and, you know, like I said, a comfort deal. It was, it was new to me playing outside of the country. Uh, things were a lot different. Uh, my routines were all weird. So that first year, you know, it was, it was kind of a learning curve. Well, when you all of a sudden lose $30,000, you know, and you have no investors behind you, you know, that, that can crush you, you know? So that was, I've had two times in my career that put me to the very final test in the sense of, man, it might be time to hang it up. And fortunately, you know, so far I kept going and great things have always come from it. As long as you, uh, you know, view things, right. Um, good things have always come. So when I'm talking to young guys, uh, best examples, well, I, I better not use the name, but a guy that I've been competing against quite a bit in the last two years, great player, you know, he asked me um, while we were playing, he was like, hey, man, I want to live my childhood dream. I want to get onto the PGA Tour. Uh, you're the best, you know, player I've been around and played with. He was like, what What do you think I should uh, do and what should I focus on? And my first question always with PGA Canada or in talking that way is, you know, what kind of money do you have behind you? You know? And, and he was like, well, I've got a billionaire behind me. I was like, all right, man. Then that to me, it's easy. You go PJ Canada, 
you know, because the guarantee is that you're going to play with great players. You're going to play against great players. You're going to play in a true tournament setup. It's roped off. It's, it's really nice. They do a great job within that. I was like, but no matter what, you're not going to make mon- that much money. Even number one guy, you know, say he, he made 87,000, you know, and, and I know your expenses are 30 plus. Well, you know, he didn't net that much for the, the year, you know, and that's the number one guy. And the number one guy from what I've seen the last couple of years is way ahead of number two. So, um, you know, so I just tell the young guys, you know, if, if it's not about the money, then then go get it. You know, whereas somebody like me, you know, I I just can't I can't do it that way. Although I will say this, if I did go back now that I've gotten that felt that comfort up a little bit, I would be strong and hard to beat up there. <laughs> It's just such an, that's where the human story is just so interesting. I think to, you know, people who love golf of, you know, the commitment it takes and how true, you know, how hard it really is to get to the PGA Tour. And a lot of it just seems to be like at some level, there's so many good players out there that you just got to have the right timing and the right circumstances, like I said, the right backing. And then a lot of times once you get out there, they can stay out there, right? It's just, it's such an interesting voyage to tr- for most players to try to get out there and do it. I think that's the part that's just fascinating of the grit and determination guys like you have to keep doing it because you know the talent's there. So you know it's not a pipe dream. But yeah. just getting that right opportunity to get out there and do it and then letting your talents kind of take over and never giving up on it, I just think is, you know, I think that's the fascination of we all wish we could have the talent to even consider doing it. Yet, right. you know, for you to stay with it and the other guys to stay with it, if you see them kind of going back and forth or imagine going to Canada, finishing eighth on the money list and hardly making anything like that's tough. Like that takes a lot of grit and determination. I think I think that's why people follow the stories and and, and love watching competitors compete to try to, you know, get to the very top. It's just it's a there's always an interesting backstory to it. So it's fascinating, man. Uh, Q school. So how many times have you uh, have you done that gauntlet, and what is that experience like uh, to play in with that kind of pressure, knowing what's at stake? Yeah, man, Keystone, that's its own little animal there. It's, it's so awesome. But uh, the uh, – I, man, I, I don't know, honestly, how many times I've done it. I know I've been in second stage the last – four or five years uh so i've been getting through first stage um you know the toughest deal about q school i would say is is one it it starts right as kind of the main season's ending so the most difficult part to me is okay if i have a huge tournament a month out is learning how to you know prep for that you know because you don't want to all of a sudden be playing which I've had this happen to me, you know, I, I was playing great. So I was like, all right, I'll just keep playing in tournaments. So I play, play in tournaments and all of a sudden I go win, I go win, you know, and I'm just playing awesome. Well, and then all of a sudden like that week, week before, or even uh, two years ago, I won a tournament right prior to, or this is last year. I won a tournament right before key school going to second stage. And then all of a sudden, I go to 
second stage and, and the game kind of, you know, just fell apart a little bit. And, and then, man, you want to talk about when things start getting tough out there, any bad thought you've ever had will come out strong, you know? So you're in a, you're in just a true dog fight within yourself on, Hey, I'm good enough. You know, whatever your, your go-to, um, you know, inner, uh, whatever your go-to kind of inner belief, you know, thoughts are, man, you're, you're in a battle trying to create that, Hey, I'm good enough and all that. And so I would say the toughest part with Q school, uh, beyond all the pressure, because, you know, for somebody like me, you know, it only comes down to Q school. Uh, if you're not going to do the PJ Canada's and, and the stuff like that, um, to try and build your status through the year, well, then it comes down to one one tournament, you know, and I know that there's, there's you know, four total stages, but each one's its own one. And so, you know, I'd say the toughest part is, is learning how to peak your game uh, to make sure that your game's ready to go that exact week. Um, two is, uh, you know, learning how to overcome any inner demons that you're that you have right now or that can come up i would say preparation from what i've noticed is my best way to combat the more the more i feel prepared the more or the less questions i have about my game the less thoughts will jump up on you early but no matter what you know you're going to have these thoughts you know when you all of a sudden hit one ob on day two or day three it doesn't really matter day one you know all of a sudden you're going to have that self-doubt try and kick in and you know, how strong are you at fighting that self-doubt? Um, you know, I've, I've only gotten to final stage once and I've done it. And, and that year I was playing really good golf all throughout and still didn't, you know, in, in for me from over the last five years, I mean, when I'm playing good, I'm winning. I mean, that, that's, that is what it is. I mean, I've, I've won tournaments not playing good before, um, but very rarely am I playing good and not uh, and not finishing strong. So that year, you know, I ended up finishing fifth uh, in second stage at Bear Creek, and I was playing really good. And so that just shows you how much uh, mental anguish and stuff that you're going through, and and you know the the battle against doubt versus belief. And, uh, you know, I still finished fifth where in my opinion, when I'm playing good, I should be winning. So I would say, you know, that's pretty much key school somewhat in a nutshell is there's just a lot of things that you just can't prepare for or things that just don't really necessarily come up through the seat, through the whole season. And then all of a sudden, you know, you just put to the test because, you know, your life and career and, what you want to do is online and and that's when doubt's going to try and fight hard does q school uh, like let's say you're in second stage is it more or less does do you play aggressive or do you just kind of is is do you have to go low out there or do you just kind of let everybody else kind of make mistakes and just play solid golf like what's the mindset is it is it go low as you can or is it sort of Let's find some fairways and greens, and if we can shoot 70, 69, 68 every day, we're fine. Or do you just 
does it change from day to day? Like, how do you how do you approach the knowing that you've been through it or what it takes to get through it? Is there a is there a different approach in Q school? I guess I'm asking versus a regular tournament. Yeah, yeah, I would definitely say there's a different approach. One because you know within mini tour golf, if you're not winning, you're not making much money. You know, it might be twenty thousand at first, but it's ten to second. Not that ten's bad, but there's a big difference there. So you're going to go do whatever it takes to win because it's worth it, right? So all of a sudden in Q school, now you're talking about, okay, the top 18 make it. Okay, so now it becomes a scenario, in my opinion, of, okay, who can, you know, either overcome their big mistake. Because in four days, you know, you're generally going to have something go wrong. You know, I don't care who you are. Um, you know, I had one year where I – coasted through a first stage and i was just dead on my game so it didn't it didn't really matter and and when you're on it's it's you can get through q school pretty easily you know what i mean when in the sense of you know you're just going to keep riding it you generally if you're on or at least for me you know i'm making some 20 foot putts i'm making you know some of the longer ones to where i don't have to go right at it Sometimes your iron game's so on that you can just knock the flag stick out of the ground every time. Um, you know, for me, the the year I made it, my focus, especially second stage, I hadn't gotten by second stage. My focus was, all right, no doubles this week. All right, so if you're gonna, if your whole game plan is to go into a week without doubles, well, you're you're generally probably not going to take too much risk unless there's not much risk there. You know, so I would say, you know, for the most part, you're playing a very protective golf, but at the same time, you know, if you all of a sudden hit a great shot like you're trying to to 30 feet and you you drain that putt, you know, you did everything you wanted to do, you know, you just, you happened to drain the putt, so now you're getting paid off on just uh, smart, conservative golf. And I think Q school for the most part is conservative golf unless you can string yourself, get yourself loose from the field and the pack. You know, if, if uh, like Bear Creek, you know, generally the guy that's winning is probably anywhere from 12 to 18 under, you know, where that uh, top 18 uh, mark is going to be, you know, anywhere from five to six under par for the, the week, maybe even seven, but so, so if you can get loose, you know, all of a sudden be 10 under through two days, then at that point in time, I would switch a little more to attack mode because you've got a little, you know, you've got a little leeway there if you have to, but you're trying to just get away from the pack, just start running. And, uh, so I would say to start the week, everybody's probably generally pretty conservative trying to take any big numbers out of play any you know like i said if you're battling internally doubt versus belief then you don't want to put yourself in situations where doubt's going to be you know coming on really strong um so i'd say you start the week conservative if you can get break loose from the pack then you just start running and run hard man um but i'd say that's about that's about it you know as far as how i approach it and then, uh, you know, back to the, the mini tour events and the Dakotas and developmental tour stuff. What what do you think potentially is some of the biggest misconceptions golf fans may have about those events? Is there any 
conversations you had with people that you're like, no, it's actually not like this. It's sort of more like that. Is there anything that people may not or generally don't fully understand about those developmental tours? Um, ah, you know, I, I don't know. I've, I've never really heard anything. I, I've had, I've had a lot of, uh, you know, I've, I've gotten a lot of really, you know, good feelings, you know, guys will play with me and they're just like, you know, like I always tell, you know, I started, uh, with this elite tour and, and we are trying to get, you know, to me, there's such big strength in pro-ams at our level, uh, in many tours because, you know, one, these guys get to play with, with some players that they're like, oh, they're just at the mini tour level. And then all of a sudden they get the day done and I shot 10 under and they're like, holy cow, this guy's really, really good. So then they'll be like, oh, man, Rory must be just absolute freak out there. You know, it's like, hey, man, if I was to play Rory, I, I, I hate to tell you, you know, I, I I do a lot better than anybody would expect, you know. And, and I know that we're not too far off. We're obviously either dealing with, um, uh, you know, our own internals or, you know, maybe – you know, somebody like me, you know, financially, you know, I've got to let, make a lot of decisions that don't give me those opportunity events. Um, you know, and then there's, there's a big deal in comfort and learning how to deal with, uh, bigger tournaments, you know, like, you know, like I, I told a guy the other day, I was like, listen, Jordan Spieth, by the time he was, you know, 17, 18 years old, you know, he had played in all these USAMs, all these US Junior Ams, all these huge events. I was like, you know, I could argue that at my age, at 37, he had played, by the time he was 18, he had played in more bigger events than I than I have even to right now. Now, you know, they might not have been professional events, but, you know, the more you can be around those roped events and things like that, Man, you, you've got to learn how to be comfortable in those situations, and and you know, not everything's going to always be comfort, but but there's you know that there's that okay, I'm, I'm learning how to deal with this situation, you know, and so like you know, I go do what I expect to do and get uh, some status and actually get some starts, you know, guaranteed starts on the corn theory. I'm gonna be, I'm just gonna keep getting stronger and better you know this last year i made two of three cuts you know and you know if i get into 10 events this next year i expect to you know fully go nine of ten or something you know maybe in 10 of 10 possibly with a win you know and so i i just think the more you can get those opportunities you know one you got to have the game and the belief and then then it just comes down to how many opportunities can you get, you know? And, and in my opinion, these guys that are at the top of the top, the Tiger Woods, all the, the greats, you know, they played in so many huge events at the amateur level that they were able to adapt really fast. You know, unfortunately, I didn't play in all those big events when I was younger, and so I'm trying to learn, adapt as fast as I can. But, you know, the only thing, the only difference I would say is, I'm 37 with a family, you know, having to adapt to these situations. And like I said, you, you know, you're battling internally. And, you know, if your internal's like, oh, man, if you don't, 
if you don't make this cut, man, you're done with golf, you know? And that pop thought might pop in your head. Well, you got to have some go-to internal beliefs to, to combat that, you know? So I think at times, uh, guys that are just getting their opportunities are battling something that the other guys had to battle when they were younger, you know? And so I just think, uh, I would say the biggest deal that people, um, would learn is, man, come out and play with me. And I promise you, you, you'll be shocked how, at what I can do with a golf ball. That's what I figured the answer had to be. I didn't want to say anything, but it has to be like, oh, well, you're playing the Dakota. So you're like a zero handicap good, right? And like when people actually see it up close, they're probably like, okay, that's what a 63 looks like from 7,200 yards. Okay. Yeah. I don't, it's right. Like, I don't think people, I, I mean, I'm around golf my whole life. I know how good the players are on that. I don't know if the average golf fan realizes, you know, even take a zero handicap. Go play this. Go play the same tee box you did under tournament pressure, under tournament conditions for three days, and go shoot fifteen or fourteen or twenty under par. Yeah, yeah. Right? It's it's still a stupid good level of golf, and it's well, like I was, yeah, like I was telling you the other day. I had I was playing out at uh, oh uh, the doesn't doesn't matter the Fort McDowell Casino course. And I just went out there by myself, and I get paired with these two guys. And, uh, and so I played the very back. They didn't even have a tee there. And so these guys were kind of chump or, you know, talking it up, kind of laughing. And, uh, you know, we get out to the fairway and they're like, so what do you do? I was like, oh, I'm just, a, I'm a professional golfer. They're like, oh, so, so you're pretty good. And, and, and I was like, yeah, I, I mean, I'm, I'm pretty good. And all of a sudden the guy was talking. He was like, so what, what's your handicap? I was like, Oh, I, I really don't know what my handicap would be. I haven't done a handicap in forever. And, and he was like, so are you like, scratch? I was like, well, here's the best way I can put it. Uh, I played a scratch golfer two weeks ago at TPC and I beat him by 18. And so then all of a sudden they were laughing and hey, you know, I put a little extra pressure on myself, but that's fine. And I ended up shooting 62 that day and they were like, Okay, this this guy can you know really play you know because you know it's when you talk some trash you know you're putting yourself out there you're putting more pressure on yourself pride always comes before the fall so you know if you if you put that pressure on yourself you better be willing to back it up and fortunately that day I was ready to back it up so you know I I think a lot of guys that might be that two three handicap that think they're pretty close to some of these mini tour golfers would would just absolutely it blow their mind how fast they get beat absolutely pretty bad. yeah it's a it's a different game it's right like you know i'm like say a one or two handicap if i practice and plan your game versus my game is literally like we're playing two different games it's it's right yeah. it's just that there's that big of a difference between a plus six or plus seven handicap versus a one or a two it's yeah it's there's, night a, and day. there's a big difference there just one, you know, we're going to be there every day. You know, if we play 10 rounds, that's when you really see it or feel it, you know, depending on if you're playing for money. But, uh, you know, but, you know, that one round, you know, you, you might shoot 74 and I might have a tough day and, you know, shoot 69. And you're like, oh, I'm really close. I'm really close. We go out that next day and I'm on my game. I I'm, might shoot 61 
Well, if we're competing, that's probably going to mess with you watching those birdie putts fall in every hole, and you're probably going to shoot about 78, you know, and then all of a sudden you're like, oh, man, <laughs> you know. Well, so, you can just tell the way the ball's hit and compressed, and right there's just a difference. There's just – yeah. That yeah. you guys hit it like pros and we hit it like good amateurs, right? And there's just yeah. there's a oh, difference yeah. in that. It's it, yeah. So it's that that was it's interesting. That was your biggest misconception answer, which I I was leaning towards. Like that's got to be it. I'm not realizing the level of play that's out there. Um, you know, to the mini tours, I was I like thought about this question. Like, what's the most crazy out of the way town in Canada or the states or wherever that you've played? Uh, uh, a mini tour event in like what like crazy city away from everybody else like what's the most does any of them come to mind where it's like how the hell are we having an event out here yeah i got a great one for you uh and, and this is for anybody that's ever run through there in parker arizona which parker's right on the border on the colorado river so it's right on the border of arizona and california there is this little tiny tournament I mean, they still get like a hundred pros, but this course is like something off of Golden Tee, man. It is unbelievable. You'll have like five par fours that you can drive with a hybrid, but everything around it is like some big canyon. So if you miss, you're making double. If you hit that hybrid good, you could make eagle. You know, and this this course is just unbelievable. It's such a like a hidden gem. It's called Emerald Canyon, and. uh Holy cow! I'd recommend it to anybody. It's it's such a fun, crazy golf course. So imagine like somebody goes stupid low, and then somebody just shoots an eighty, right? Like it's got to be like that edge of a type of golf yeah, course well, where you my, can make a double or an eagle <laughs> about in every other hole. Oh, it's it's, it's crazy. So my first year there, I, I went to this tournament. Uh, buddy Brian Dillon, he told me about it. I I had never even heard about it, so I go there. And, you know, we're having some fun, and the the day two, I'm finishing in the dark. Like, I'm like, man, I'm getting this round done. I'm hitting into the group ahead of us. And just to get this round done, you know, the rounds take forever in this tournament, uh, especially the first two days. And then all of a sudden, you know, I come in, I'm, I've got a two-shot lead. Well, we all start having fun and partying it up, you know, because it's just a fun little deal, I thought, you know, I thought. And next thing you know, uh, you know, it's super late. It was like three o'clock. I was like, so, so when do we tee off the next, uh, day? You know, I'm used to the pros going off in the afternoon. They're like, oh, you're at 850. I'm like, 850. So I show up the next day. You know, I, I had no clue about this. I'm super hungover. And all of a sudden I, I go out and just basically unconscious, I go, I birdie 10 of the first 11 holes. Don't even, uh, you know, the only hole I didn't birdie was probably the easiest, uh, hole. And also next thing you know, I'm winning the thing by 12. This question came from uh, Ryan over at the Monday Q. Um, he wanted me to ask you, is there a rivalry with Tim Ailes and, uh, how good of a player is he and how much fun have you guys had going head to head at some of these tournaments? <laughs> oh, Tim Ailes is one of the greatest guys on the planet, man. I love the I love him to death. Uh you know, I there's there's always gonna be a rivalry. Uh Tim Ailes was so unbeatable when I was before I had even won. Um 
it, you know, I, I, to me, you know, that guy was unbelievable. Uh, it's sad that he, he never, uh, or hasn't made it to the, to the top of the world. But, uh, I would say, uh, you know, and I don't know how he's assessed this, but I, I always kind of told people, you know, he was the king of the Dakota tour and I had to unseat him. And that was a focus of mine. So the first year that I had, um, my, a win that my very first win was against Tim Males, And I went out and got it. Um, you know, I shot, uh, uh, I think 21 under par in three days. Um, but we had to go to one playoff hole and I birdied it. And so my very first win, uh, was against Tim Males, And, uh, you know, that was, that was big time for me. I mean, whoever the, the top guy is on the charts, man, that's, you, that's who they're coming for. Even, uh, you know, Brady Calkins has unseated me over the last couple of years. And that, that's tough, you know, and, and, uh, you know, so I, I wouldn't say there's, there was definitely a bigger rivalry, uh, you know, four or five, five years ago, you know, cause uh, it was Tim Ailes was the top guy. And then I, I won three tournaments that year and was the Dakota tour player of the year, which was my goal. And so I'd say I unseated him at that point in time. Um, and then Tim Cunick came through. He had a good year um, and beat me that year. And then Doug Quinos. And then uh, then I took the title back. And then the last two years has been Brady Calkins. And, and no matter who it is at the top, like this year, uh, Brady smoked me in money, uh, you know, smoked me in points. Um, but I was also jumping back and forth to, uh, you know, a lot of opportunity events. So, you know, that wasn't my total focus, uh, but it was my focus in the sense of with Brady is when it go, when we go ahead, he beat me head to head the last year. So anytime we were head to head, which I counted three times this year, uh, I, I got him every time because it was a focus of mine, you know? And so, uh, you know, I, I would say right now my bigger rivalry would be Brady Calkins, but, uh, you know, five or six years ago, yes, it was Tim Ailes. Tim Ailes was the king, man. <laughs> he was awesome. So He's to, still awesome. So to get that first win against, you know, a legend like that, were you surprised that you handled it that well? Was it fun? Was it scary as shit? Like, what what, what was the mindset going in? Like, okay, I got to beat this guy. And then to pull it off, like, has to be one hell of a feeling. But what were your emotions kind of coming down to the end and knowing you guys were close? Uh, what was that sort of scenario like from a mental aspect? Obviously, you're hitting the ball good. You're shooting 21 under par. But what was going through your noggin on that one? Yeah, honestly, I, I remember, like, yesterday. It was yesterday. Uh, it was the first time I came up with this thought that I told myself no scores too low. And I just, before any putt, anything I did, I just told myself no scores too low and it kept it to where, you know, because at that time I hadn't won and the numbers that the guys were shooting looked crazy. And, uh, you know, honestly, there are times when we shoot crazy numbers and, um, you know, so if you're starting the week and like, you know, like mine out this year, you know, all of a sudden you're starting the week and you're like, okay, I need to shoot 28 under par, <laughs> you know, in four days. Okay. That number just, is is just 
crazy, you know, and then all of a sudden, you know, you just go through your routine, you stay in the moment, and all of a sudden you do it, you do it, and, you know, that's what I did in my net. So with Tim, that, that tournament, I just kept telling myself, no scores too low, and it kept me charging ahead. It never allowed me, oh, I'm 600 par, oh, I need to protect this. You know, it just never allowed me to get into a protection mode. And so even, you know, nowadays I, I don't use necessarily that saying, um, you know, that was just kind of specific to that tournament or, or I should say just to that year. But, uh, you know, sayings like that, whatever, whatever it is, you know, you're trying to bring out the best within yourself. And so you've got to do something that, you know, you might, you can lie to yourself, which I tell guys all the time. I was like, listen, if you, if you're, if you don't necessarily think you're good enough, you tell yourself you're good enough. You know what I mean? You, you lie to yourself until it becomes true. And, uh, you know, that's the cool thing about golf. You know, if, if I shoot 58 as a nation, I shot 58. You know, okay, you might not want to go around telling people you shot 58 because you didn't actually do it. But internally, you did it. You know, so uh, there's, it's this is just a mental game. And so... For me to win that week, it came down to me telling myself before every shot, no scores too low. And um, and that's what it was, you know. And, you know, I also – I have a rheumatoid arthritis, so uh, I used to have a 94-mile-an-hour driver head speed, and which is, you know, nothing really. And, you know, so for you, you know, those Dakota tours, man, I was just – I had the best short game out there. And then I got on that uh, Humera, um, now I'm on Emerald, and, uh, man, I went instantly from 94-mile-an-hour driver head speed to one, you know, now I'm right at about 115. And so that year, all of a sudden, I came out with this such confidence and such joy uh, just to be able to move. You know, my blood inflammation level used to be at, it was at 52.7. I, I couldn't sleep. I couldn't lay on my stomach, couldn't move my neck to look at both sides of the mirrors, you know, but I competed as hard as I could. And then all of a sudden you give somebody the gift of being able to move. And man, I just, I just had such a good feeling. And, and that's how, that's how that season. And that's how I kind of became to be who I was. You know, I fought really hard while I was, you know, just couldn't move. And I had a short game that was second to none. And then all of a sudden you give me the ability to hit it 300 plus, man. And I mean, I was very hard to beat that very first year because I just was so thankful and grateful to be able to sleep at night. I, you know, prior to that, I was taking 24 and a day just to compete. Um, so, you know, there's a lot that went into that, but I would say that, it all came down to the saying, uh, no scores too low. And what a great story to get the first one too, right? Like, like that's what you'd want. You'd want to take out the best, right? Like that's just, you a great, want to take out the, the best. best. Exactly. Yeah. Like that's just fantastic way to get like the pro career started with a victory. Um, so let's say you had a, an injury that you knew you could not play at the top of your game anymore. And it's, it's over. God forbid this happens. Let's hope it doesn't. But if it did looking back at your pro career, if it had to not go on, how satisfied w- would you be at this point of what you accomplished? 
Oh, that's such a good question. You know, I've even kind of thought about this, you know, because at my age, I've even, you know, if, if you, you know, I'm not here to try and, you know, stay on the mini tours forever, even though I've really enjoyed this life. You, you just don't make a ton of money, you know, and, and there's, there's a lot of stress on you through the year. I, I would say, would I be satisfied? Uh, I would say no. I, I don't think I'd be satisfied. Uh, you know, I, I it, the the toughest part, and you know, because I even thought about uh, stopping my career this last year, uh, prior to this last year, um, and uh, you know, fortunately for the first time in ten years, I had some guys. You know, I, I called them up, and and this is the first year I've I've got. Uh, some investors, you know, I'm, I'm, I'm still the biggest investor, but I had some guys help me out a little bit and it kept me going and, and I'm super thankful for them for doing that. Um, but you know, I, it just, um, I, I've, the, the thing I kept telling them is like, guys, I would totally be done. The problem is I just keep getting a little bit better. And so I would say if, if something, if something happened to where it just, it, took me out of golf, I, I guess I would say, yes, I, I'd be satisfied with what I've done. But the the part that is that, no, I'm not satisfied with is I've got a ton of talent and I've got a ton of game and it it would be sad to not at least win a PGA Tour event, let alone my real goal to win a major. Um, it, it'd be sad that I didn't use my talent to, to its fullest extreme, you know, and so that's that's what I would probably say. Got a couple quick hitters here for you, and then uh, then we'll get you back to the golf course. Um, you, you can't say yourself on this one. Most talented okay. player you've ever had a chance to see up close and play with, out of all the years and uh, all the guys, just where the talent not might be the best score, but the just Jesus, what natural John talent. Rom. John Rom's the only one that has ever just absolutely impressed the crap out of me. What did he do that just, you know, even a professional at your level that you saw that you went, holy shit, this guy is. Yeah, I was, I was, I was caddying for him at, at Risk Rock and, and man, that guy could hit a four as good as I hit a pitching wedge. I mean, it was, it was going to three feet every hole. He was laser with his driver. I would say the only thing I wasn't impressed with was his wedges, but, uh, but, uh, Man, I mean, ball striking, when you're talking like 600, 500, 400, all the way to driver, man, I mean, it was laser. I was super impressed with that guy. Best golf shot you ever hit under pressure? Oh, gosh, I've hit so many good ones. Uh, man, that's a good one. I would say... The one that jumps into my mind to first off was when I was uh, when I was 15 years old and I won my very first junior tournament. I hit this eight iron out of this bunker to this left pin with a cut to about four feet to win the tournament. I, I'll I'll just go there. It's a great one. Get to get the career started the right way at 15, right? Yeah. Uh, favorite golf course architecturally you've ever gotten to play. I'd say, uh, I'd say Oakmont or Emerald Canyon in Parker, Arizona. <laughs> Two pretty good choices there, especially on the Oakmont side. That had to be. Yeah. What were those Oakmont greens like? Awesome. 
Were they just? Oh my gosh, it's scary. They were so fast. It was they shoot the uh, thirty yards before the green was running at uh, thirteen. The greens were running fourteen and a half. So even if you're just short of the green, good luck gets in the speed on the fairway. It was, it was incredible. It was so fast. Yeah, it's crazy. I'd be Texas wedging everything, obviously. <laughs> yeah. Just get the yeah, butter from and From 80 yards, I thought about doing it. Uh, I spend a lot of time out in Sand Hill area, Nebraska, and the Dakotas and stuff. Uh, we have family and stuff out there and play golf out in the Sand Hill area. So I'm in that area of the Dakotas tour. So what is your favorite city to kind of visit, stay at, hang out in that Dakotas tour sort of realm of where those golf tournaments are played? Uh, Sioux Falls is an awesome city, I think. Um, I'm a little partial. My wife's family from there, uh, so I spend my most time out there. I, I would say, I would say Sioux Falls, and then if if we wanted to take that out, which is a bummer that we lost it, but Rapid City in South Dakota is pretty awesome too. The Black Hills, absolutely. Yeah, isn't I? We we did a family trip out to Rapid City and in. in you know, went to Deadwood and uh, the state parks and stuff out there. Isn't that, I thought the town was awesome. Like the vibe downtown, it's yeah. gorgeous. It's uh what a cool area that would be to, to, to live in. We absolutely loved it. And I also agree with you on Sioux Falls. My, my wife has a bunch of family out there. I'm like, what a great city to visit. You know, it's big it enough, is. but small enough, some good golf course, like super nice people. I absolutely love going no to that doubt. place. Yeah, it's, that's the uh, thing I love about the North, man. To me, the people are just so nice. And, I mean, it's just so nice. They're very down to earth, which is just very refreshing. I think. Yeah, just good Midwest people, right? They're uh, yeah, it, yeah. No, same thing. Like you know, from playing golf out in Sandhill region of Nebraska, like it's ranch land. It feels like you're way out west. But what I, you know, on top of the golf, fell in love with the people. Like they are the kindest nicest, most down-to-earth people you'll ever meet in your life. Like, the vibe out there is just yeah. calm, cool, and collected. Like, I love the whole tranquility of that sort of area, and life is just maybe a little slower than even outside of Chicago. Like, they just sort of seem yep. to get it. So it's a great area to visit. It really is. Yeah. Well, Andre, thank you so much, man. I really appreciate the time today. Yeah. We're definitely going to be watching, you know, uh, Q School coming up and uh, – you know, I think there's a lot of people who love the story and love the grind up and love that the talent's there. Like, it's just a, it's such a great story and I wanted to tell it. And, uh, like I said, I appreciate you taking the time today and we'll definitely be pulling for you and watching you. I really enjoyed the conversation. Yeah, I did too, man. This is my first podcast and I really appreciate it, man. This is, this is awesome and we appreciate you building awareness for us. No worries. No worries. Play well. All right. Thank you.